The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Yes, so I am back from the Northeast Caribbean Command Outpost. <laughs> I'm so glad we've got a bureau in St. Bart's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do have a bureau there. Uh, not much happens except for uh, during hurricane season, but I can tell you that the uh, Blanquette, which is a veal dish at Santa Fe and Lurin, is still very, very very good. See, this is the thing. We open up a bureau in St. Bart's and it turns out to be nothing more than culinary reviews. There's not much. Uh, seriously, there's not much going on there. The, the, the big thing is uh, with a Roman Abramovich, who is the Russian billionaire, and he's tied in with Vladimir Putin. He's tied in with uh, Gazprom. He owns uh, Chelsea of the English Premier League. He has an 80 acre compound above a beach called Gouverneur. And uh, usually he hosts this A plus level New Year's Eve party, which features a $6 million fireworks display. And George Lucas goes, and Martha wow. Stewart goes, and Diddy, and Beyonce, and Spielberg, and you know, all these people. $6 million in just fireworks? Just the fireworks. And the, the big thing is, which who will be the live entertainment? Who's going to play? And over the years, the Red Hot Chili Peppers have been the party band. Um, who else was there? Uh, Kings of Leon have been there. Uh, there was supposed to be a big party last year with Lady Gaga because Roman's uh, wife, Dasha, is a big Lady Gaga fan. But if you remember, last year we had the whole business with the Crimea and everything else going on in, in, so, in the former Soviet Union and, and in Ukraine. Um, he was one of the oligarchs, Roman Abramovich was one of the oligarchs called back to Russia to sort of uh, get their story straight with Vladimir Putin. So there was no big party last year. And that was uh, took a, a real toll on the economics on, on, on the island uh, because he spent so much money catering this thing. I mean, um, shipping containers come in and some of them are just full of chairs. <laughs> and then, of course, all the people are bringing their yachts and, and, and the yachts need to be provisioned and the yachts need to dock and all the rest of it. So it was uh, it was um, a very big disappointment to the people of the island that uh, Mr. Abramovich was not there last year. And uh, here we are uh, halfway through December and we still haven't heard whether or not there's going to be a big blowout on uh, the compound. Dude, with the way the Russian ruble has been as of late, yeah, I'm surprised if you'll see the guy within the next five years. Well, you know, this is true because, <laughs> listen, the Canadian dollar took a real hit against the euro while we were down there. and um, You could almost not afford to come back. Well, I'm not looking forward to the credit card bill, I can tell you that much. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. It lasted longer than a Kardashian marriage, but Ford and Microsoft are splitsville on the connected car. We'll tell you which suitor is waiting in the bushes. Why does our favorite song sound better on the radio than on our smartphones? It's all about brain science. Looking for a last-minute geek gift? The Star Trek replica tricorder isn't it. But we found one book fans of the Rebel Alliance should buy immediately. Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on Casey Kasem. And Teddy Wilson of Inner Space drops by to convince Alan to get on the Doctor Who bandwagon. Exterminate! And now, Alan Cross and... 
Michael Hainsworth. Ford has broken up with Microsoft. Oh, and, and if those two kids can't make it work, what are the chances the rest of us can do so with a connected car? Here in my car, I feel safest of all. I can lock on my doors. It's the only way to live in cars. Ford under, uh, what was his name? Alan Mulally was really leading the charge towards the connected car's future. My favorite was when Bill Gates showed up for the big unveiling of their relationship in a Ford Focus. Yeah. And then drove away in the Ford Focus. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and the MySync, which was powered by Microsoft, was at the time a pretty cool thing. Maybe you remember the TV commercials where people were just calling out names of bands and names of songs, and all of a sudden the MySync system would uh, would 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 chirp up and, and do exactly what you what it was told. Uh, the problem was that it was really really finicky in real life, and if you went to I, I think it was either Consumer Reports or JD Power. Ford actually moved down the reliability rankings in one of these surveys because of MySync, because it didn't work so well. So after a while, Ford decided that, uh, no, this just is not working. We're going to sign a deal with QNX, which is the company that's uh, owned by BlackBerry, which works kind of like a a middleman between um, OSs. And uh, they're going to move forward with that. It reminds me of that uh, Harvard Computer Society joke. You know, if Microsoft made cars, do you remember that making the yeah. rounds in the early 90s? Yeah. And of course, this is what it came down to, is the idea that you actually tied your reputation as an automaker to the reputation of a company that by and fa- by far and large makes the most popular operating system in the world, but also makes the most reviled operating system in the world. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of issues here. First of all, you don't want... Ford making their own operating system to run their infotainment systems. You just don't. They just don't have the experience. No, and and, and uh, you know cars uh, iterate once every what seven eight years from design to showroom, uh, and and then we've talked about this before how iOSs and, and things like phones iterate uh, you know every six to twelve months or. If, your Samsung every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you need to have some kind of third-party partner. But it was obvious that Microsoft just wasn't up to the task that we see uh, Android and um, uh, iOS taking on. So sorry, sorry, Microsoft, your, your connected car thing has just... Uh, has crapped out on you. It was at uh, Comdex, the old computer expo, that uh, Bill Gates reportedly compared the computer industry with the auto industry and stated, quote, if GM had kept up with the technology like the computer industry has, we would all be driving $25 cars that got 1,000 miles to the gallon. And so in response, GM made a, if GM had developed technology like Microsoft, we would all be driving cars with the following characteristics. One. For no reason whatsoever, your car would crash twice a day. Yes. Every time they repainted the lines of the roads, you'd have to buy a new car. (laughs) And my favorite, number three, occasionally your car would just die on the motorway for no reason. You'd pull over to the side of the road, close all the car windows, shut it off, restart it, reopen all the windows before you could continue. For some reason, you would simply accept this, restart, and drive on. Yeah. Oh, well. The thing is, is that it looks like um, this is Apple's game to be won with its CarPlay technology. I was reading something on the plane uh, about CarPlay in, uh, I think, the very last uh, issue of Macworld magazine. They've gone out of business. They still make that? No, they don't. 
It's gone. Uh, the very last issue had a story on CarPlay, and it's it's coming along. It's it's coming along. Some some vehicles, uh, I think some Hondas and some Volvos. Well, uh, there's one Ferrari, exactly one Ferrari that has CarPlay in it. This was a bespoke thing that somebody ordered. The big thing will be getting past the National Transportation Safety Board in the U.S. because they were so worried about uh, distractions. But uh, you know, from what I've seen of CarPlay, it's it's pretty good. And then then. Google will do something similar with Android. So uh, I, it's going to come down to really, I think, and, and I stand to be corrected on this, is is this QNX system run by run by BlackBerry, mm-hmm. which will take whatever you plug into your car and make it into something palatable. So you don't have to choose, you know, you don't have to choose a car based on the OS of your phone. There's a good chance that the vehicle you're driving now, if it's a recent model, already has QNX in the dashboard. You just don't know it because it doesn't have a screen attached to it. But a lot of the behind the scenes um, software based elements to your vehicle are driven by QNX, which was in part the reason why BlackBerry wanted to buy them in the first place. The very first version of the BB10 software that went into their smartphones was, of course, based on the QNX technology. And the irony was, was that just months before they launched BB10, they still hadn't perfected the dialer on the thing. You had phones that couldn't actually dial out because QNX was never meant to be a mobile technology in the way that BlackBerry shoehorned it into the BB10 devices. So what you're looking at now is basically the technology that's been around for a few years under the dash and you just didn't know it. Yeah, and and it's going to be this traffic cop that's uh, that's going to direct everything. So terrific! That's, oh, sorry, that's the dog there. The uh... which one is that? Schmooze or is that Squirt? No, this is Schmooze. Uh, Schmooze had missed Mister Dad quite badly, so. Oh, so she's just lying there at your feet. No, well, no, no, I'm scratching her ears, and that's the Bull Terrier snort. Oh, it's kind of like a purr. It seems it is. It's exactly like a purr. Except that it's a snort. <laughs> yes, heaven forbid we compare a dog and a cat. You know, it'd be mass hysteria. Um, the CarPlay itself, it's actually likely to run on top of the BlackBerry QNX operating system itself. Uh, and it'll provide you with your Siri, your satellite navigation, the uh, telephony, music control, as well as uh, iMessage control and response, as they describe it. Uh, originally, actually, I think it was called uh, iOS in the car when they first launched it at the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference. They, they rebranded it because iOS in the car doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Uh, they've got, uh, as of late, a whole collection of companies who have decided that they're going to get in on it. At the Geneva Motor Show, they confirmed uh, Ferrari, Mercedes-Benz, Volvo uh, as some of the new ones. But uh, some of your traditional vehicles, Ford will be in there. So will General Motors, Honda for the Acura line anyway, Uh, Hyundai with its Kia. And the Kia is pretty critical because that's the low-end entry model vehicle that the kids today are buying. And the kids today don't care about what's under the hood. All they care about is what's behind the dash. And if their iPhones will work on a a car, an $18,000 car, they're more inclined to buy that one than the crosstown rival. Uh, Mazda, Mitsubishi, Nissan, Subaru, Suzuki, Toyota is in there too, a Volkswagen with both uh, the Audi as well as the traditional Volkswagen brand. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm looking forward to it. 
Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. So the Nerdosphere is all agog because we're getting into that big Doctor Who Christmas special that will pick up where we had a big sort of quasi-season finale. And I begged you over the summer to watch Doctor Who. Did you? No, no, I didn't. I was busy <laughs> watching cooking shows, as a matter of fact, because my wife has, con- has uh, complete control over the PVR. Oh, I thought it was going to be like a, a friend's Joey thing. No, I didn't play D&D in high school. I was having sex with girls. No. <laughs> Me? Uh, no, no, that would not have been my answer. Okay. Well, you know, so I, I need some help here to convince you because we got a lot of unanswered questions about the big Doctor Who uh, because there's a new Doctor as part of the season. So I, I thought, who better to convince you uh, than our, our own Teddy Wilson from Inner Space? Teddy, good to have you with us. Hey, Alan. Hey, Michael. How's it going? Oh, here we go. You're going to try yep. and make me watch it again. Well, I was unsuccessful last time, evidently. That's my fear, yeah. is that maybe you're the wrong guy here, <laughs> because you know everything there is to know about Doctor Who, but it clearly didn't move the needle on Alan's interest in the show. Well, look, I'm the, the, I'm the I have problem. a whole bunch of stuff that I still have to watch on the PBR, most of it having to do with cooking. However, uh, I know that there's a very long stretch between about the 21st of December and somewhere around the 15th of January where absolutely nothing happens on television. So I, I, I may have to use this as some kind of backup entertainment. Now, why you might particularly like this doctor is it's Peter Capaldi, who, uh, Teddy, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this the guy who was the predecessor to Frank Underwood on House of Cards? He was the original British version. No, he was in a show called The Thick of It. Uh, yeah, which is a great show. Yeah, that then also they did a movie called In the Loop, and so him, his character, Malcolm Tucker, is a little Frank Underhill-esque, but... Uh, a little? Uh, no, 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 oh, no, no. He's way more Frank Underhill. So you know who we're talking about. I, I do. You know what? And now I'm thinking, I, I'm feeling bad because Peter Capaldi was a great Malcolm Tucker on, on this this uh, very vile, very funny British political show. Get me f***ing Brian. If you don't get me f***ing Brian, I'm going to come over there. I'm going to lock you in a flotation tank and pump it full of sewage until you drown. Not getting f***ing cool. He asked you, f***ing what's that? Explains you. See if he'd asked you to Black heart, walk the f- line. We've got enough f- Pentagon goons here. I'm busy. F- off. Okay, you know what? I'm just I'm going back on everything that I said. I'm going to go start watching. How, how many episodes with him, uh, Teddy? Well, let me up the ante for you. He also uh, there's been I think there were uh, twelve, ten or twelve episodes this season. It was a really wonderful season. He replaced uh, the eleventh Doctor, a, a, a young cat named Matt Smith, 
uh, who was the youngest doctor in the 50-year lineage of, of this show up to that point. Peter Capaldi it actually be, became the doctor at the same age that William Hartnell was back in 1963 when he was the first doctor. So he's a, he was a bit of an older dude, but as you said, Malcolm Tucker, his character from the British show he was in, the thick of it was foul-mouthed and awesome. And he certainly hasn't brought that language to uh, the role of the Doctor in Doctor Who. But he's brought some of that kind of unrepentant irreverence. And uh, I've really fallen in love with him as the Doctor. And to, to sweeten the pot to get you to watch it even further, Alan, he also, as you may know, used to play in a punk band in Scotland called The Dream Boys with none other than Craig Ferguson. Really? Yeah, he was he was he was in Craig Ferguson's punk band. See, now that is in a reason enough to be watching the new doctor. But what's interesting to me is just how he's so versatile because he was so foul mouthed in in the Brits uh, TV shows that he was in. But this one, he's he's to your point, he's not. And he's also a very vulnerable doctor that we haven't seen in previous seasons with different doctors. And at the end of this season, before the big Christmas Day episode, he and his companion go their separate ways. Is this forever? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, there are two elements of Doctor Who in terms of characterization that have helped it to last so long. And one is that the Doctor, part of the mythology is that he, he regenerates. And it always has been a he up to this point. There's been no female Doctor in that main role. But that he regenerates, so the show then necessarily refreshes itself. But then the other key characterization element of Doctor Who is, of course, the, the companion, who's, for lack of a better term, a sidekick, but the better term is companion. And that's been everybody from aliens to kids uh, to scientists to laymen and laywomen and all See, sorts he won't of he won't watch Doctor Who because Billy Piper's no longer the companion. Billy Piper was a, a fantastic companion. But I mean, that role in Doctor Who canon that the companion serves is really as audience proxy. You're going along for the ride with the Doctor and so is the companion. And sometimes, though, the end of a season, it might not mark the end of that Doctor's tenure, but it does sometimes mark the end of a companion's tenure. And the big you know, um, uh, the big uh, question online with fans of Doctor Who, with Whovians, is will this be current companion Clara Oswald's swan song? You know, will it be her last episode, this Christmas episode on the 25th? I think it will be. I think we're going to say goodbye to her. I don't think we are because really? it's been hinted through the course of this season that Clara has been with the Doctor from the beginning, the beginning of the doctor's time, right. not the beginning of the season, but the entire time he's been alive, she's been in and out of his life, and he's just slowly becoming aware of this. Well, and this was a this was a plot point last season, too, that we saw them touch on, this notion of the impossible girl, and that she was a character that was seeded throughout the Doctor's timeline. They haven't fully explained uh, that, and that hasn't totally come to fruition in terms of the story, but current showrunner Stephen Moffat, though he is an amazing writer, and overall I think he's a wonderful showrunner, as of late, I think he's, he's been seeding some plot points that then haven't been paid off later on. So uh, I actually, I, I hate to disagree with you, but I don't think we're going to see that further fleshed out. And I think we're going to say goodbye to her here. But I mean, the beauty of Doctor Who is that it's always up for debate. Maybe, Alan, we're going to get a, a Billy Piper 2.0. Maybe it's just the blonde or is it the chipmunk cheeks? Is that what it is? I don't know. She just had this this thing and then she went and did that series about being a high class hooker, which kind of, you know. Uh, well, Alan, let me up the ante for you again. Not only is current Dr. Peter Capaldi a former uh, 
uh, punk rocker from Scotland. But also, if you need a gateway into this Christmas special, or perhaps into the current tenure of Peter Capaldi as Doctor, go back to the 50th anniversary special, which aired about a year ago, and featured none other than Billy Piper back as Rose Tyler. So if you really want incentive to get back into the show, jump back a year, find that 50th anniversary special, watch it, and that's going to pique your interest, it sounds like. I would imagine this is all available on Netflix or Apple TV, right? Yeah. And Crave TV for those of us who kneel at the altar of Bell. Crave, yeah, Doctor Who is on Crave TV, so you should you should check it out. Teddy, thanks so much. We, we Maybe this time it'll work. Perfect. Look at that. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> okay. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York. Cincinnati from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News update. We have another co-producer. Oh, how very nice. You know, it is coming up to the Christmas season, and I would expect some of our loyal listeners to uh, maybe be a little bit more generous. Uh, so uh, thank you. What's his name? Craig? Craig Minette. Uh, our hearts grew three sizes that day. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, he paid the 25 bucks uh, to be a big shot co-producer of the show. It's just like Hollywood. You don't actually have to lift a finger and do a damn thing. You just need to spend some money. And for 25 bucks, not only do we get to talk about him on the big show and say how wonderful he is, but he also gets to put this on his LinkedIn profile. Uh, he can put it on a resume. We'll vouch for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will send him the uh, high-resolution art for that particular episode, suitable for framing and hanging in your parents' basement. Have we ever had somebody report back to us that our reference has actually got them a gig? I've seen it on LinkedIn a few times, but I actually <laughs> haven't seen anyone get a job courtesy of Geeks and Beats other than our own Jason Tolman. Uh, this is true. Who is now writing for uh, Indie 88. Yes, that's true. Okay, well, very yeah. good. Now, you and I are going to be talking a little bit about this over our uh, Christmas hiatus, uh, but uh, I've been looking at the prospect of making a few tweaks to the big show for 2015. Yeah, I'm just looking at what, man, you had a whole big manifesto here. Yeah, I figured you and I should talk about it before we talk to everybody else about it, and we haven't spoken about it, so we'll set that aside for a moment. However, hey, wait a second, wait a second. I'm looking at point three. Yes. Paying people? At some point, people are going to start to wonder how much longer, you know, we're going to make them ride this bus. See, what's going to happen is the, you know, the, the federal government's going to step in with this temporary foreign workers thing, and they're going to include us. <laughs> uh, you know, none of our people are foreign workers, but they're saying, listen, if you're not going to pay people, at least make them people offshore. <laughs> We have one temporary foreign worker on the show. We do? Amber Healy is our uh, Washington bureau chief. Oh, right, 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 right. we got to be careful about that. But in addition to that manifesto I sent you about what we ought to talk about for 2015, uh, I thought maybe we ought to actually ask the people who consume this content, what they want to see in 2015. So I put together uh, a Geeks and Beats survey, and I deliberately misled everyone about it by saying that we had sex questions for them. Oh, is that what this is? We have six questions for them, not sex questions. Although if you are a National Lampoon's European vacation fan... Can I take the survey? You can take the survey. Okay. By all means, question number one is, do we talk enough about each story? I think we're just right. And yes, 80% of respondents so far agree that we are not... Uh, my concern was that you know, maybe we were talking about too many subjects and we needed to drill down into maybe one subject per segment, but 80% figured, no, everything's all good. Thank you very much. I asked how many of the 
stories we discuss do you really already know about? And uh, about 43% said some of them, 29% most of them. That's not bad. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Uh, And then, of course, we want to know where people are listening to the big show. And at this point, half of the audience is commuting at the time. So they're, quite frankly, not completely paying attention. Well, no. Or they're completely paying attention because they're on transit as opposed to driving. Well, listen, if, if I had a choice between listening at home, listening in the car, and listening at work, I would take listening in the car because that's a captive audience. That's what I would take as well. It thing is, is my commute is so short that it takes me both there and back to be able to listen to the full episode. Yeah, the one show. Okay. Yeah. 83% of the audience uh, says that they get the show on Wednesday when it's fresh, uh-huh. as opposed to you humps listening on the radio, where you get it at a variety of times. Yeah. So this is our desperate plea for you to uh, basically subscribe for free on iTunes, Stitcher, or I just go to the website and uh, sign up with your email address. Not a single person listens to it on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So clearly we are not destination slash late night listening. No, we got to fix that. Uh, We've been putting a lot of effort into the website as of late. And uh, when I asked, do you visit the website? uh, It's split between often and sometimes. Only 14% said never. Uh, I asked if you were following us on social media and there was a trick question in here. Did you catch the trick question? Yeah, we don't have an Instagram account. But 14% say they're following us on Instagram. (laughs) And because I threw the sex reference out there, I thought, you know, we can only screw with people so much. I actually did put a bonus sex question in asking who is sexier, Alan Cross or Michael Hainsworth? Okay, I'm going to vote for you. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll vote for you just to even it out. Uh, You're way ahead. Am I? Yeah, 60-40. Well, not anymore because I just voted. So it's 50-50. We're neck and neck. We need oh, somebody on. to break the uh, the tie here. <laughs> okay. Who's sexier, Alan or me? TV boy or radio man? Yeah, it is 50-50. <laughs> Look at that. For the record, I wear makeup for a living. That's that's true. And for a record, there is and for the record, there is no dress code for any of the jobs that I do. So we'd love to have you take the survey uh, because it will affect what we do next year. Uh, please go to geeksandbeats.com. It's uh, right there underneath the uh, list of episodes with this big, bold, begging banner asking uh, you to uh, please uh, fill out the survey. Well, you know what I'm going to do right now is I am going to go here and I'm just going to tweet it out as we do the show. Okay. Well, I've been tweeting it out on your behalf already. I hope you're oh, happy to hear that. Well, thank you. Uh, basically rooking your uh, 45,000 followers. Uh, yeah, I did hit 45,000 this week, I think. You did. Uh, in, in tricking them by saying that, uh, yes, you've got questions about sex. Okay. Just a second here. Uh, okay. We uh, have a... This is dynamic radio, by the way. I know it is. Survey... <laughs> One moment, please. Take it now. Okay, so there. All right. I'm just sending it out. Okay. There. I've just tweeted it out, and let's see if anybody bites before the end of the show. I just saw it pop up. Geeks and Beats update from a conversation we were having last week about you alleging that you browsed but never purchased Star Trek blueprints in your youth. And so you went on the hunt on Amazon.com and actually found the book that you claim in your uh, uh, teenage years never actually bought. No, this actually comes from Brent. Uh, Brent found it for me. He heard us talking about it and he went and found it, uh, dug it out. This isn't the same thing. Oh, it's an owner's workshop manual. It is an owner's workshop manual, but the one that I was talking about actually came in a pouch and they were, were blueprints. As though you were 
actually a Starship Enterprise designer. Right. And you would have to lay them out on a big desk or a big table. And then that way you could follow, you know, where the the um, uh, turbo uh, turbo lift and everything went. Uh, but, you know, this I, I've, I've ordered it and uh, that will be my Christmas present to myself. Look at this. Uh, customers who bought this item also bought the Klingon Bird of Prey, uh, the Millennium Falcon Owner's Workshop, and then the Star Wars Death Star Owner's Technical Manual for 2244. Think about how many boffins would have been saved if they could have just bought this off Amazon.com. <laughs> I know. They would have covered that tiny little hole that allowed the... <laughs> the, the the photon torpedoes. Yeah, they were to, to, to blow up in a, a planet-sized spaceship. Ah. Uh, while you were on Amazon.com browsing this, and I'm sure you're buying it for yourself for Christmas, because quite frankly, your wifey's not going to do that for you. No, no, no. I no. thought about buying you a replica Star Trek tricorder. Well... Now, funny you should mention that, but that would be kind of cool um, because I, when I was flying to St. Bart's last week, there was a diversion. The, uh, there was a bomb threat at the St. Martin Airport, and uh, they had to clear the airspace for about four hours. So what we ended up doing is landing in San Juan for a little while, which meant I had more time to spend with the Sky Mall catalog. <laughs> and in the Sky Mall catalog are a number of Star Trek things, including a captain's chair, which is suitable for your dog. It's a doggy-sized captain's chair. There was a doggy-sized NC, uh, NCC-1701 chew toy and uh, a Star Trek tricorder replica. This one is from ThinkGeek. It's 60 bucks, And the reason why I didn't pull the trigger on it is because it also plays Leonard Nimoy-voiced Spock audio samples. No, 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 no. And at that point, it stops being a replica and becomes a toy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it reminds me of when I was a kid at Halloween and I went out for Darth Vader one year from one of those pre-packaged Darth Vader costumes you'd get at consumers distributing that had the 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 mask with the little eye holes in it, but the actual suit said Darth Vader across the front of it with a picture of Darth Vader and as a kid you're like, that's not Darth Vader's <laughs> outfit. So it, I, I can't drop 60 bucks on a replica tricorder if it's clearly just a toy. If this was something we could put on your shelf, that'd be yeah. different. When I went to visit Shatner's uh, office in L.A., he had a series of those replicas on his, on his shelves. And, and someone at Universal's going, where the hell did that replica go? Yeah, yeah Desilu Studios is, is, is went bankrupt because Shatner took all the toys. If you're like me, and I know I am, you like beats and vaguely tolerate geeks. So you might as well friend us on Facebook. You'll validate our existence, see the stories before everyone else, and bring us one step closer to achieving world peace. Time now for Ask Alan Anything. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan Anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Hi, boys. This is Shannon Simpson calling from St. Ratford, Ontario, with a question for Alan. I was wondering why one of your favorite songs sounds so much better when you hear it on the radio. For example, I could listen to New Slang by The Shins a million times on my own, but when I hear it on the radio, boom, they made. What's up with that? I think it's just the element of surprise when you can 
when 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 you make the choice of listening to something, you're already primed for hearing it. But when it shows up on the radio suddenly, it's like, oh, I know this song. Oh, I'm going to listen to it. Oh, somebody has selected it just for me. And you just seem to enjoy it a little bit more. It could also be that there's a certain amount of audio processing that goes into it that makes it sound a little bit better than what you might hear through your um, through your radio well, through your stereo at home or your earbuds or something like that. Because radio stations do process music quite heavily, and the processing that they do is like the secret sauce. It's not something that they're willing to tell the rest of the world. I know that you know 680 back when it was CFTR that you know that hot uh, AM radio station. Uh, the uh, the signal processing was a, a closely guarded secret. And the other secret at the time was that they sped up the tracks so that everything sounded just a little peppier. By how much? About uh, 3%, 5%? It really wasn't that much in the grand scheme of things, but it was enough that you could pump a little, f- a few more tracks into an hour. Yeah. Everything seemed a little uh, more energetic. And because of the signal processing, everything had a richer sound to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you did an interesting uh, whole episode of one of your other shows on how your brain reacts to music. Yeah, what happens is that your brain looks for the missing bits that are removed by the MP3 encoding algorithm. And because it spends a couple of milliseconds looking for those bits, your brain has a delayed reaction when it comes to releasing dopamine, which is the feel-good hormone. And you don't get as much of a dopamine shot as you would listening to a pure analog version of a song. So it's quite possible that listening to an MP3 doesn't quite make you feel as good as listening to uh, an analog version. Oh, back to the whole vinyl versus compressed audio thing. We know, though, that radio stations today, as Shannon's asking about that, basically everything is a compressed MP3 file, which is probably compressed three or four times. Oh, probably more than that. Yeah. It's uh, it's compressed in the studio a bunch of times. It's compressed during the mastering uh, process. It is uh, compressed uh, it, by the radio station. So there's probably five or six rounds of compression, which makes it sound uh, a whole lot different than what it sounds like in the studio. Speaking of, of, of uh, high-res audio, I got my... Um, demonstration of some Sony high-res audio. Okay, you know, Tidal wanted us to, to look at them as well, and they had this little test where you could listen to two versions of an audio file, and you would have to guess which one was the high-res and which one wasn't. I got every single one of them wrong. Did you? Well, I listened to the Sony high-res demo, which was in a Sony store using some very good headphones. But I got every single one of them right. Did you? Yes. Even though you spent most of your career in a DJ booth in a club listening to music at nosebleed levels. Yeah. And um, it was amazing to listen to... The, the best one was Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. <laughs> I, heard, I heard bass notes. I mean, I've heard that song a billion times. And I heard bass notes... Uh, that I didn't know existed. I heard um, sparkles in the the snare drum and the hi-hats that I'd never heard before. Bob Marley's voice was richer and had had much more, uh, a warmer bottom end. Uh, I'm a believer in high-res audio. And what they did was they gave me a set of headphones and a uh, a high-res audio player to take on vacation and I and I had a lot I, I put some MP I put some MP3s in it as well as some uncompressed files <laughs> and you know what it allowed you to well no they they, they encourage that because it's because they've got some sort of um, fill in the blanks engine that takes 
the MP3s and adds somehow extrapolates what was missing and puts it back. Oh, that sounds like snake oil if there ever was. Any. Well, no, no, it probably it is. It is snake oil because once you take something out, you can't put it back in. Exactly. Um, but it's it's listen, it sounded good. It really did. I'm going to give this a little uh, more of a, um, a test. And then I think what I'm going to end up doing is, well, the, the headphones that they gave me, I'm going to buy because I'm a big fan of Sony headphones, and these ones are really, really good. Um, but there is a inline digital audio converter that you can run out of your computer through it into your stereo. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to get that because, wow, did it make a difference. It sounds like a niche product for a couple of reasons. One, the likelihood that you're willing to listen to your music on a device separate from your iPhone is pretty slim because much like, you know, the, the best camera is the camera you've got with you. Yeah. I can't imagine carrying multiple devices in this day and age when I've got all of my music loaded up on, on my iPhone. And second, if most of us can't recognize high-definition audio versus what the MP3 is pumping out, there's got to be a very small market for this. They're very upfront about it. They say that this is for the audiophile. They say this is for people who cannot live without you know, proper music. It's, it's kind of silly because they have one of these big converters that's uh, about the size of a paperback book, and there's a couple of straps around it. And you're supposed <laughs> to, seriously, you put, you're supposed to strap your high-res audio player to this thing, and then it's got balanced outputs for, a headphone, uh, for, for your headphones, and the headphones are $800. So, I mean, you can take this to ridiculous lengths, but for 270-some-odd bucks, I can get this inline digital audio converter that would run from the back of my Mac into the back of my Yamaha receiver and would make everything sound really, really good. Now, the big problem I have is that most of my music, almost all of my music, is is in iTunes, which doesn't handle uncompressed files like FLAC. Mm -hmm. And I do have a bunch of WAV files in there, but, um, you you know, again, you get a cheap FLAC player and, and you download from, you know, Tidal or HD Tracks or any of these, any number of, of, of places that will sell you these files. It makes a big difference, really. And, and it's only for audio files. It is not for people who listen to music casually. I feel like we've uh, diverted seriously from uh, the initial question from Shannon there. But if you've got a question for Ask Alan anything, call 323-319-NERD. Casey Kasem's still not buried? No, he's not. He is still in a fridge in Norway awaiting his fate. Um, meanwhile, they're investigating things in L.A. about elder abuse, his wife, Jean Kasem. It is just a really sad, sad story. The guy died back in the summer, and he still hasn't put to rest. How much credibility can we put to this story, considering it's coming out of the National Enquirer? Hey, they were on the O.J. case, and they got it right. Whenever I, I see the National Enquirer, I still think of uh, the uh, Jeff Goldblum movie Transylvania 65000. Transylvania 65000. It's a couple of National Enquirer reporters who go off to Transylvania uh, to uh, report on these reports of vampire, werewolf, and Frankenstein sightings. And it's all, it's a send up of all of those monster movies all in one film. I can say with 100% confidence that I've never seen the film and never intend to. 
Did you see Dracula? Yeah, yeah, when it first came out. Not the movie, the person. Comedy gold. You have to watch Transylvania 65000. It's amazing that the government of Romania didn't launch some sort of hack against the studio. Private investigator Logan Clark, who's been working on behalf of Casey's daughter, uh, told the Inquirer that after the investigation, the LAPD turned the case over to the L.A. District Attorney's Office. Yeah, there was a, a real, there's a gory story about um, a feeding tube. And, uh, oh, it's, it's just terrible. If any of this is even half true, it's really, really sad. And I guess at the, bottom, at the, at the end of it all, it's all about money because Casey had a tremendous amount of cash when he died. And he's got estranged children. He's got a wife that uh, was with him for many, many years afterwards. And uh, I don't know. Please, please, please put the guy to put put him out of his misery. You found some cool APIs for music. Yeah, this is a, if you don't know what an API is, it's an application programming interface. It's a third party thing that uh, you can slap on top of another program that will allow you to do all kinds of really cool things with that program that the makers of the program maybe didn't envision. For example, uh, you know, with Twitter, there's all kinds of Twitter makes its API available to a lot of people are used to. So there you know, you end up with Hootsuite, you end up with TweetDeck, we end up with uh, you know, Tweety and a whole bunch of other things. So um, Spotify is very, very generous with their API. And they have been some some companies have been using it, using this interface or these these app these opportunities with the interface to do some really cool things. It's too complicated to get in here. It's really geeky, but uh, I'll post a link to uh, eight really very cool API uh, uses that uh, we're seeing with Spotify and with some others. Uh, one is called Serendipity. This is it. It doesn't. It's a community building thing of a sort. If, if you're listening to something on Spotify, Serendipity will go out and find somebody else who is listening to exactly the same song within just a couple of seconds of where you are in your, in your listen to the song. So it could be that you're listening to uh, you know a Red Hot Chili Pepper song, and then at the same time, somebody in Russia is listening to that exact same song and is exactly in the same place as the song as you are. So all of a sudden you have this, this connection with somebody you've never met through music. It's just a, it's just a really, really neat way to see how people are, are, are into the same kind of music at the same time. If there's anything geekier than your explanation of APIs and how it's changing the face of the music industry, it's the fact that I'm on a journal of musicalthings.com and you've got snowflakes falling down your webpage. Yeah, that's something that WordPress... Um... <laughs> Don't blame WordPress. It's like 1996 all over again. Oh, I know, I know. I uh... Frankly, it looks more like dandruff. Uh, yes, that's true. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.